You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, thank you for um, your goodness and loving kindness, and thank you, Lord, that by uh, Christ and by your spirit that you brought us into the kingdom, and I pray, God, that in this time we would, um, we would enjoy uh, the life of the kingdom of God, the hope, the peace, and the joy of the kingdom, and I pray, God, that you would refine us, uh, encourage us, and ask your spirit to do the same. Amen. All right, so, um, so today is our last, um, last edition of um, the series, The Bible and Parenting. Uh, we have been in, so doing this for about eight weeks. It's been long, and it's been really edifying for me personally. Um, if you just can't get enough of the Bible and Parenting, the Rooted Parent Podcast uh, is, is has like 15 episodes <laughs> on this topic, so more content there. And I think at the beginning of next year, we will um, start off talking about uh, three questions every child asks, um, and that'll be probably about I think, a six or seven week series, um, looking at those three pivotal questions. So today, we're going to look at um, Mary um, and... We're going to look at how Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah, and um, and then her response to that. And um, the uh, I was going to say the um, there are two questions I really want to look at today, um, coming from two words that are repeated in this um, in this passage. And one is, what does it mean to have a great kid? And number two, what does it mean to be a blessed parent? What does it mean to have a great kid? What does it mean to be a blessed parent? And uh, because that's, uh, that's how Jesus is described to Mary, it'll be great. And then often Mary is described as blessed or favored. Um, she even identifies herself as blessed. So what does it mean to have a great kid? What does it mean to be a blessed parent? So we're going to... Go through, go through this text, and I'll, I'll throw some other stuff in there as we go, um, but that is, that is the question. So, starting in verse 26, in, are we in Matthew? Oh, I'm sorry, it's not listed. What does it say on your sheet of paper? Luke, my bad. I'm preaching on Matthew, similar story with Luke, with Joseph, next Sunday, and um, so I keep on getting these confused. Alright, so in the, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. All right, so I want to stop there. Take pause for pause. And um, and so the first first kind of observation I want to make here is in this encounter, um, you know, this is obviously not your normal. Uh, took the pregnancy test, found out that I'm pregnant. Um, you know, she, this is this is obviously a unique and singular moment in redemptive history, and at the same time, um, 
That is, in, a, in part, what's going on. Mary is finding out that she's going to be a parent. And so, you know, you can think back to you know, when you found out you were going to be a parent for the first time. And, you know, there might have been some excitement. Um, might have been some surprise. <laughs> um, probably a fair amount of trepidation, anxiety, and fear. Um, that, you know, when that came to you. So you can imagine, here's Mary, and um, you know, she's first afraid because an angel has appeared to her. It's not something that ordinarily happens, and you see that usually in the Bible, when an angel appears to a person, they are usually pretty terrified <laughs> um, that this heavenly creature is you know, in their room. Um, I did have a student once that had an angel appear to them. Incredible story. Real story. Well, I'll tell you about it another time. But, um, but anyhow, uh, so with that being said, uh, she is afraid. And so the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then first, when the angel initially comes to her in verse 28, says, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. So um, she, you know, she is going to be referred to as blessed art thou among women. That's kind of... In the, isn't that right? In the, um, the rosary. Hail Mary, Mother of God, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Yeah, so, so, so favored, blessed, O favored one. Um, you have found favor in the Lord's eyes. And so what the, the point here is that the, the, these, um, these, these words for like favored and blessed and so on and so forth come out of the same kind of etymological word family. Basically means like the generosity. The, the goodwill, the pleasure of the Lord is towards you. Like, God has a positive disposition towards you, a disposition, dispensation of grace and kindness and um, grace and kindness and generosity. And so that is, uh, that, that is, that is how Mary is identified. She is a blessed parent. Um, hashtag blessed and highly favored. If anybody, if anybody knows what that means, you'll start to laugh. Yeah, there you go. Anywho, so then, next thing she says is that he is going to be, um, hey, there's a worksheet right over there. So glad you're here. Um, yeah, and then the angel says that Jesus is going to be great, all right? Um, and what we call the Son of the Most High, and the, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now, to give you a sense of just how significant that is, uh, the, the, she is saying your child will be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 6, uh, God says to David that you're going to have an eternal throne. He says, uh, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, talking about Solomon there, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. We commit inequity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever for me. Your throne shall be established forever. So Mary, as a Jewish girl, would have heard this promise, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. Jesus was biologically a descendant of David. 
um, through both sides. Um, so, you know, there was no throne at this time because the Romans had taken over Israel. Um, but if, if there had if the Davidic dynasty had lasted, Jesus would have been an heir to, to be on the throne. So, with that being said, uh, she's finding out that her child is going to be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Not a small deal. Okay, so going to verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So you see this language of the Davidic covenant. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who, has, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, so again, we don't want to make a false application here and say that, you know, when you took that pregnancy test, <laughs> that, you know, however long ago it was to have your first child, that that circumstances was the same as Mary. Uh, God, an angel has come to Mary and said, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. You're going to be the mother of the second person of the Trinity. Okay? And so this is a big deal. And at the same time, like, uh, there is the human element of it where, like, hey, Mary, you're going to be a mom. And Mary's obviously confused, like, hey, uh, you know, haven't slept with anybody. How does this happen? And she, you know, and the angel says, well, your child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit and, um, and will be the Son of God. And so, so the first thing I want to tackle here, sorry, let, now let's keep on going. We're going to skip over and we're going to go down to verse 46, uh, go down to verse 46, and we're going to see Mary's response. Mary's response, nope, don't want to go there yet. Stop. We're going to take a pause for the call. Sorry, guys. Um, long, long week, long week. All right, so first question I want to tackle is what does it mean to have a great kid? We said there are two questions we're looking at. What does it mean to have a great kid? What, is it, uh, what does it mean to be a blessed parent? First thing we're going to look at is what does it look like to have a great kid? And you can see um, this word, great, used you know, in reference to Jesus. But also, anybody notice in the reading today about John the Baptist? It says that John the Baptist is the greatest you know, person born of a woman um, to ever live. However, what does it say? The, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Okay, so uh, greatness is defined very differently in the economy of the kingdom of God. All right, so now I think for in our flesh, in our flesh, when we're you know not you know not walking in the spirit and under the word, but just in our flesh, when we think about like your kid's going to be great, I think that that means my child's going to be really successful. That my child's going to be really smart. My child's going to be a butt kicker. Um, my child is going to produce. My child's going to be a star athlete. Uh, my child is, yeah, it's just basically going to fulfill all my ideas. <laughs> and validate uh, all my interests. Um, yeah, I, we think great in, the, in the, the great in the terms of the world is that you, you're powerful, that you're impactful, uh, that you're self-sufficient. Um, that you have lots of means, uh, that you can kind of do life on your own terms because you're so gifted and you're so competent. That's kind of what, that's how we define greatness, like in, in, in American society. 
Um, and so going over to this story here in Matthew 20, this to me is one of the great stories in the Bible about parenting. But in Matthew 20, this is the story of uh, Salome, the mother of James and John. And, uh, and Salome is a thousand percent on the world's definition of greatness. And she comes on down to Jesus, um, and she kneels before him, and in verse 21, Jesus says to her, what do you want? And she says, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. All right, so Salome is essentially saying, hey, Jesus. She's thinking about Jesus' kingdom not in spiritual terms, not in the terms that we see in the New Testament or the Gospels. She is thinking in terms of uh, Jesus is going to be a political ruler. He is going to kick out the Romans. He's going to establish an Israeli kingdom again. And she's essentially saying, Jesus, I want one of my kids to be the vice president of Israel, and I want my other kid to be the secretary of state. Like, deal me a solid here, Jesus. Like, I just, I just want to know that, you know, when the cabinet positions are being handed out, that James and John are going to have good positions. That, that, is, that is literally what she is saying. Right hand, left hand would be the two highest positions, which would be vice president and secretary of state. So, um, so she is thinking in terms of the world's greatness. And here's what Jesus has to say to her. Verse 22, Jesus answered, Do you not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup, but the sit of my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those of whom it has been prepared by the Father. All right, so Jesus, when Jesus says, like, you don't know what you're asking, like, if you want the kind of glory that I'm going to get, if you want the kind of greatness that's going to come to me, uh, then the path of that is suffering. It's suffering, it's a lot of humiliation, uh, it's, it's, it's rough. It is not an easy path. And, um, and, and then and Jesus says, like, hey, you, this is not something that you kind of, like, it's not something that you work your way up the ladder for. Like, it, it's according to God's plan and, and his providence. He'll, he'll give it if that's what his desire is, and that's what's best for you. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know what the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones, I guess that's probably over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. So we see that the greatness of Jesus is in his humility, in his submission to God's will, all for the sake of being a loving sacrifice for the sins of the world. All right, And so Jesus is kind of juxtaposing and contrasting the concept of greatness that Salome and James and John have come to him with and said, well, let me tell you what greatness looks like. Greatness means that you're humble, that you submit to God's will, and it's, it's not about your glory, it's not about your upward mobility, it's actually about you being a loving servant of the Lord God for the world. Um, and that's not a super glorious thing. And so let's think about Jesus. Um, let's think about Jesus in the terms that Salome has for greatness. Let's think about Jesus in the terms that the world has greatness for children. Um, you know, Jesus was not financially uh, secure. <laughs> he, was a, he was a carpenter, 
which would put him kind of on the like working class scale. Um, he, you know, he didn't go to he didn't go to Harvard or Princeton. People who go to Harvard or Princeton are wonderful people. Um, <laughs> he didn't he didn't have some impressive formal education, um, and he was an itinerant pastor. Like you have people like Saul or Paul, who they were like they did have cachet in the Jewish world. You know, you could you, you know, he was he was uh, he trained under um, you know the most reputable Jewish uh, rabbi in, in the ancient Near East. And um, then you have people like, um, help me out, John 3, Z- uh, not Zacchaeus. Um, who comes to Jesus in John 3? Uh, tell me what it means to be born again. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, thank you so much. Nicodemus is on the ruling council. So that's like a status, um, that's that status symbol. Jesus was not, he, he was not in the establishment. He was a, a, an itinerant preacher. He just kind of roamed around. And um, Jesus had to raise his own support. Like, Jesus relied on wealthy women uh, to, to give him money to support, to financially support his ministry. So, that being said, like, he's not, in worldly terms, Jesus was not impressive. Um, yeah, not impressive at all. And then, let's think about this, too. Like, he, he did have some, what we would kind of perceive to be worldly success. He, got, he built a following. And then he totally sabotaged his worldly success when he says, hey guys, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And they're like, dude, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, this is not, this is not a good strategic plan. Uh, you know, this is not, like, like we, were, we were going this way, man, but if you're going to go to Jerusalem and kill yourself, like, that, like, we're not going to make budget. We're not going to hit our <laughs> key performance indicators. Like, none of this is going to happen, you know? Like, uh, this is, a, this is you know, we are committing worldly success suicide. In this. And, so, um, and so, with that being said, uh, he was not probably great in the way that, like, suburban Americans, we think about greatness for our kids. However, in terms of the kingdom, of course, he was the most loving person who ever lived the greatest servant who ever lived, uh, the most submitted person to God's will who ever lived. Um, and, you know, he's, he's the greatest in terms of the kingdom, but his greatness was all about his submission, the heart of a servant, his humility, um, and his life being focused on loving other people. So, so first point here is, um, yeah, the, the, the greatness, the, the need for us to define greatness in terms, in scriptural terms. The need for us to define greatness for our children with the values and the economy of the kingdom of God. And so, um, sorry, this can be a little bit controversial, but I, I, think, it's, I think it's worth saying. Um, I don't know if, if, how many of y'all are aware of this, but are y'all aware that like in Europe, that people with Down syndrome are like, Down syndrome is like going to be extinct in Europe because like the vast majority of uh, well, I'll give you a case of this. Uh, Iceland. Um, maybe I should go down the road. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'm just going to say this. In Europe, what you see is... Um, uh, man, maybe I should have done this. That's all right. Okay. I'll just say, I'll just say this. I'll say this. Iceland. In Iceland. In Iceland, um, like, about 90% of people, when they get pregnant, have a prenatal test, and um, 
And so in Iceland, 99% of children who in a prenatal test are found to have Down syndrome or aborted. Such that Iceland only has 330,000 people. But um, the, uh, there are only one to two children in all of Iceland born each year over the last decade with Down syndrome. And, uh, and it's similar in other, like in Denmark, it's similar. It's like 85% of prenatal tests that are born with Down syndrome are aborted. And so I don't want to judge any person, don't want to judge circumstances and all that. I, I, all I want to say is my life experience, and I don't want to make huge generalizations you know, of any group of people, but I will say the most Christ-like people that I have known in my life have Down syndrome. You know, like one of the most Christ-like people I've ever known in my life is a guy named Andy Jordan. Uh, Susan, uh, a lot of you, if you're around my age and you went to Mount Brook, you know Andy. And uh, Andy works the Publix on Overton. Every time I encounter Andy, I'm like, that is, that is what, that's what it is to look like Christ. And that is uh, who God calls me to look like. You know, he, he sanctifies the heck out of me. And, and my experience with, with people with Down syndrome is they tend to be pretty childlike. They tend to be a lot of times very disconnected from a lot of the worldly stuff that I get caught up in. Um, and they tend to be really sweet. And so all that to say is like, um, I think that in the kingdom of God, uh, people with Down syndrome, again, I'm making huge generalizations, huge generalizations, and I don't want to do that. Um, but for me, have been a very good example of what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like. My friends who've had Down syndrome. So, um, so with all that being said, as we think about like what our aspirations are for our kids and where a lot of our energy is, particularly the energy of our prayers, is that our prayer is that our children will have kingdom greatness. Um, and that kingdom greatness is humility. And it's, um, it's being a servant. Uh, and it's being compassionate. And it's, uh, I would say the gospel attitude is grateful, humble, compassionate. And so that's, that's the kind of, and so with that being said, a lot of times I think we get really anxious about our kids failing or being rejected or things not working out for them or getting hurt. Generally, kingdom values come out of failure and setbacks and get your feelings hurt and things like that because those are generally the context where God works to make us more humble, grateful, and compassionate. So, that is question one. How do we define what it, what it is to have a great kid? Second, what does it mean to be a blessed parent? Let's look now at um, let's look now at Mary's song of praise. The magnificent. So Mary, in verse forty-six, this is uh, you know she is. I cut out something. She is gone. To see Aunt Elizabeth, Aunt Elizabeth is old, she's postmenopausal, but she's pregnant. So Mary has this really good sense of validation that, holy cow, you know, the angel said to me that my aunt, who's elderly, is pregnant, she's, you know, she's been barren or infertile her whole life, she's pregnant, she's got this confirmation of like, okay, God is really in this, okay? The Lord is with me. And she says, um, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, keeping in mind that earlier it said that Mary was highly favored, and she'd received the favor of God. Um, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, 
and his and holy is his name. Okay? And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has uh, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Notice all this language of fear of God, um, mighty being humbled. Uh, he exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good hearts, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. All right, so Mary considers herself very blessed, but, and Mary um, delights in humility. And, uh, and she considers herself like the most blessed person in the world. All right, now Mary, keep in mind, Mary doesn't necessarily know all that's going to come to her. Mary is probably about 14 or 15 years old. So could be a little bit of naivete here. And, like, this is the word of God. And I would bet, like, you know, Mary on her deathbed would probably say yes. All of, all of the things in the Magnificat that I expected in terms of being so blessed, um, so highly favored, uh, yes, I, I was the most blessed person you could have. Well, let's think about the road to Mary's All right, first off, Mary is definitely going to, um, no one is going to believe, at least in the immediate, that Mary got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a really, really convenient story for a girl who might have made a bad decision with a boy. And um, so she's going to experience public shame, big time. That's number one. Within two years, there is going to be an army sent to kill her toddler. Right when uh, Herod sends the slaughter of innocents, sends the sends the army to Jerusalem, I mean to Bethlehem, kill all the babies under the age of two. An angel appears to Joseph, and they're going to have to flee to Egypt. So, I mean, can you imagine if people people like living with this memory or with this you know awareness that an army was sent to kill your baby like that is horrific trauma then they're going to be they're going to be refugees they're going to leave you know Israel they're going to have to go down to Egypt and um, it's uh, wasn't to say that that's that's not fun and then we come start to come back they find out oh they're still they're still after my child they're gonna have to relocate because of that um, then, you know, her child is going to live a perceivably normal life until the last three years when he starts his ministry. And, um, you know, I'm sure she'd be really proud of Jesus and, like, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty amazing, like, the people that he heals and the ways that he's teaching and proclaiming the Lord. It sounds like, sounds like the kind of person who really delight in that. And she's going to see people trying to kill and defame her son. And Mary witnesses the crucifixion. Mary is there and witnesses Jesus die on the cross. Like, man, that is bad. Like, that is the worst of the worst. Like, as human experience. Seeing your child be crucified. It would be worse, than, probably be worse than as a human being, not the receiving the, the judgment of the world for their sins part of the crucifixion. But, <laughs> but if you just take the human pain of it, I would, I would say being a mom watching your son die on the cross is probably worse than being crucified. And so, I mean, Mary, like, but Mary is blessed among women. 
And so what is it about, you know, her, what missionaries to have a favorite to bless? And uh, probably a couple of things. Like, one, Mary was humbled in all this. And this would have been, uh, Mary had to rely on Jesus way more than probably any of us will ever know. She had to, sorry, she had to rely on God more than any of us will ever know. And so because she had to rely on God so much, she had to have been so close to the Lord. So close to the Lord. I can remember, there's a really remarkable woman in our church. She, I've talked about this before. She had, um, she had cancer. It was bad. She went through treatment. It was very hard, but it, it went optimally healthy and, um, and has been for at least five years. And when, on her last treatment, she started crying, and you know, her husband was like, Ah, uh, no, I know, happy tears, right, that this is all over, and relief. But no, I, I've had to rely on Jesus so much. I felt so close to Jesus in this season. It's going to be hard to let go of that. How about that? Um, that's the power, that's the power of, you know, Christ in your life. But um, similar thing is probably true with Mary. You know, when you have all of those terrible circumstances that she faced as a parent, she had to rely on God and rely on, on his word, and you know, walk by faith and believing God's promises more than, you know, more than trusting in the circumstances. And in that, um, she was probably inc- incredibly close to the Lord. And that, that right there is the blessed life, is being as close to Jesus as possible. So you've got that, and then her child was Jesus. Now there was probably a lot of joy in having a completely sinless child. You know, that is probably a pretty good gig, you know, because like, you know, in those like 13 minutes a month, or sorry, we'll say 13 minutes a week when your child is like really obedient and really sweet, those are really great moments, right? (laughs) We won't talk about the other 2,800 minutes uh, in a given month, in a given week or whatever. So, um, but she was so close to Jesus because Jesus was her child. And, um, and so uh, she was brought to this place of need and humility, and she was brought to this place of intimacy with, with God. And so with that being said, that is why we would say she had the blessed life of a parent. And so, so then for us, I would say, like, um, man, don't you just, like, don't you just want to leapfrog over and just, like, wish away all the difficulties of being a parent? You know, whether, whatever the season is, you know, like, oh, we're in the terrible twos. Like, gosh, I can't wait to get out of this. Or, oh, you know, we have a newborn baby and uh, getting up four times every single night, never sleeping, like, get me out of this, you know? Um, you got, uh, you know, you got a preteen or you got a teenager and they are super hormonal and they're, you know, they think that you have three heads and they think everything you say is so dumb and you're the least cool thing and they're mean to you and they're ungrateful, all that kind of stuff. You know, when you have that little season, not that that's always the season, but hypothetically, um, yeah, they're just there's such a temptation as a parent when the like difficulty of raising children comes to you to just like I just want to wish this away, just just get me out of this, you know, like how many years until they're out of the house, like oh how's the retirement looking, okay, you know, all that kind of stuff, and I think what we would see here in terms of what we can learn from Mary in terms of being a blessed parent. Um, is to recognize that, like, as I like to say, the grass is brown everywhere. <laughs> There's no easy season. You know, we live in the fallen world. And, um, 
And like the difficulty is by God's design. Like the, the blessed life for us is a life of humility and dependence on the Lord. Uh, that's what brings us to a place of, of joy, peace, and hope. Um, and rather than, um, that's not to say it's okay for us to lament the difficulty of parenting, but instead also to embrace that it constantly puts us in a place of need. Kind of like the, the, the woman who, during her cancer treatment, was constantly in need. Like, nothing will sanctify you more than parenting because nothing will show you your need. You know, your need for, par- your need, your need for patience, your need for wisdom, um, you know, your need for to be sanctified, all of that. And so I would, this is a projection, but I would perceive that Mary probably embraced all of that and turned to the Lord because she was a person who delighted in humility and need. And, 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 she, and, and, and that turned her to the Lord. And so, so, yeah, the blessed life of the parent is to embrace the need, to turn to Jesus with it, and to know that he delights. He is so pleased to meet us in our place of need. He's so pleased to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness and his Holy Spirit and the wisdom that we need. And so, redefining greatness, redefining the blessed life. Um, that's all we have. Um, I, it's, I'm a little bit over time, two minutes over time, so I'm going to pray. And if anybody wants to chitty chat after, happy to chitty chat. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for um, just for giving us clarity on what the path of blessedness and greatness is. And it's, it's super unnatural for us, Lord, and so I pray you send our Holy Spirit um, to give us that the vision, um, the vision of Scripture, the vision of the kingdom, and um, to lead us in repentance day by day, that we might define um, greatness and what it is to be blessed in your terms um, with your help. So, trust you, Lord. I just praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.